Hello there and welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. Ed Draper here with you, sports broadcaster in the UK. Thank you for hitting on the button. I appreciate it and I hope you're well. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing home solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out Jason Briggs and his fine team. If you've got any doubt about what you need for your home in terms of home entertainment, contact Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Jason will see you right. If you're looking to optimise your immunity, the podcast has an ongoing association with Cytoplan, food-based supplement companies are designed to be digested as close to how food would be as possible. C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk to check out the supplements if you're interested in trying them, whether it's a multivitamin, vitamin you may call it, or something more specific as we head into winter here in the UK, the Northern Hemisphere, like vitamin D, then if you go to check out at the checkout, there's a discount code associated with the podcast, 30% off your first purchase, 10% ongoing with the code DRAPER10R. So my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals 110, uh, sorry, 10, and the capital letter R, DRAPER10R. And don't forget, we're so intent on helping you enjoy life. We've teamed up with the Whole Man Academy, arranged for some lucky listeners to get a 100% free mentoring session with Anthony Asprey. By the end of the session, you'll be much clearer on how to tackle any issues or challenges you're going through, especially if you ever feel stuck or not exactly where you want to be in life, which I guess we can all empathise with that sentiment from time to time. Five sessions being given away with the pod. Check out the show notes for the link. And Anthony Asprey was on the podcast earlier in the year. So take a look at that if you want more information about his work at the Holman Academy. Thank you for listening to the pod. Let's crack on and get into this one with Kate Mason, former colleague at Sky Sports, wonderful broadcaster, journalist, writer now with the Metro as well. Just a good person, had some really interesting things to say about the upcoming Qatar World Cup, having worked in the country and being out there as well more recently to film or record, I believe, an audio documentary. So here she is, the one and only Kate Mason. Kate Mason, welcome to my podcast. Welcome to your kitchen. Thank you. <laughs> thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks for having me. We're actually at, at your house. So it's, not um, at all. It's lovely yeah. to have you over. It's brilliant. It's brilliant to see you. How are you doing? It seems like you're here, there and everywhere. I've seen pictures from America, Qatar, oh, thank you. all over the place. Yeah, um, I do like travelling for work, but it is uh, sometimes it's a tiny bit on the knackering side. Yeah. I ended up going to, this is going to sound like a humble brag, but it's, <laughs> it's genuinely not. It was like I ended up, I was hosting a golf pro-am in Greece, and then we made the plan finally for this trip to Qatar to do an audio documentary before the mm. World Cup. And so I was like in Greece and unfortunately flew back to Heathrow and then from Heathrow to Doha, which is a big mistake well, because... Because you're kind of halfway there when you're in Greece. Yeah, you're kind of halfway there. Yeah. So yes, um, travel, or as we, I'm sure you tell people all the time, the world of broadcast is not glamorous really at all, except mm. in a very few small occasions. So you were in Qatar for a, an audio documentary, but you're also right, written a piece that I've read from the Metro. So you're kind of, you're combining, aren't you, across, hey, the, across the platforms? Thank you for reading it. Um, yeah, no, that Metro thing is quite cool. Um, that was because, it's funny how all these things shake out, because when you're first starting out in broadcasting, or I did anyway, mm. I was trying to just like, I was in awe of everybody, and I was trying to just meet as many people in as many sports-related fields as I possibly could. Mm. And I was, so when I was a kid, I was a, fairly decent squash player that was my like sport oh cool um and are so, you left-handed no oh because you're waving your left hand oh, so right, I just wondered if you're, like, practicing. maybe i was throwing my yeah, yeah. Uh, throwing ball up to serve no i'm not although actually uh, di- left-handers are disproportionately represented in in the top tiers of squash are they seems to be something to do with how it's confusing for people well, not confusing but you know it's the a slight advantage yeah, yeah because people aren't so used to it um but anyway so i was i was big into squash when i was a kid and um used to watch a lot of it obviously not a massive broadcast there's not loads and loads of squash mm. you watch but there was this like subscription service that uh, they set up when i was probably just leaving university yeah um so i was watching a lot of that and i happened to find out that the editor of metro was a squash fan <laughs> so, so i was going so i was like why don't i pitch him an article about squash knowing again that this is not something that's gonna you know 
be my golden ticket but, but, to broadcasting all the time. But it's weird. Why isn't squash a bigger sport? Because I think about it sometimes. I sort of understand oh. why football is ubiquitous because you can play in the park and it's sort of meaningful with just a ball and it works in any other in any country. But then why is darts high profile? Why isn't squash? Because squash is actually really athletic and really technical. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love to watch it. There's a lot of, from when squash was fam- more, more famous, 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 it was famous <laughs> in like the 80s, you know, when yeah. it was like, that's when a lot of people who play squash are still like wrestling of. was big back then as well. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> with moustaches like going <laughs> anyway. Um, Jonah Barrington, that kind of era. Uh, back then, I think the point about it was that it wasn't a very good telly sport because obviously squash is a all. It's like two D kind of thing. Yeah, well, it's and also they didn't really used to have the capacity to broadcast from all glass courts, and mm. they hadn't. There's it was just difficult to follow the ball right yeah so there's a lot of belief that it's still not a great telly sport but actually they've done a lot of work on it to make it possible to and good to watch and also like you know look at ice hockey that's massive and yeah. no one can ever see the puck no no that's true yeah <laughs> so that's a good point. um i've lost my train of thought oh yeah anyway so i was like i'm gonna pitch this guy a squash article because like, the british open was happening and there was someone a female player i was really into and i thought it would be a good story anyway um he was like sure bit odd of you like i can't say i don't know when we last printed some squash but that sounds like quite a good story go for it so i did that and i did a couple more pieces for them this is like 10 years ago now i guess yeah am i that old yeah probably. that's amazing anyway so i then knew those guys and um i bumped in i think i bumped into one of them at the commonwealth games i was doing some just like venue hosting yeah and um and I mentioned that I'd lived in Qatar for two years, so that was how I know a lot about it and mm. had quite a lot of things that I want to talk about about it. And I might be going out to make this documentary, which the Ramble, of, well, yeah, the Ramble of funding the yeah. podcast that that I work on. Um, and they were like, "Hey, you, you know, do you want to write some stuff in the run up? We can plug your, you know, you know how it is. Yeah, we can plug your put a hyperlink on the website. Yeah, exactly. Podcast, we can plug yeah. your podcast. Um, and so I." Th- I thought, can I still write? I don't know. Um, it's, did, how much do you like the discipline of writing? Because I did, as we mentioned before, during the pandemic, when at Sports News we weren't doing our full allocation of shifts, and I'd worked with boxing and digital a little bit before, and I wrote some features for boxing and yeah. a little bit of MMA as well. But it was, it, I like the tranquility of it and the sort of focus of it, because I think it, it does centre your thoughts, doesn't it? It's actually nice. You can be quite more, you sound more erudite in writing than you can in, in broadcast. I think what's good about it is that you find out what you think in a more precise way. Mm. Sometimes feel like I chat on for hours about things. Yeah. Expounding my yeah. views on various podcasts and whatever audio mediums. Yeah, it takes I, you longer to to reach hypothesis maybe. Yeah, yeah and, and sometimes you don't even need to reach it. You no. just say something definitely and then yeah. <laughs> someone else makes a joke yeah um so yeah i've really liked that so i've done so I've, it's a column right so i've done two now and then there's i don't know how many more to come before the world cup uh one one next week out next tuesday good um and this, and this is if you're not in london it's accessible online as well isn't it? yes it yeah. is yes it is um and also it's not just in london no um, the metro's in other big cities it is i'm told it's the i mean i guess because they give it away free but um, it's the biggest circulating newspaper in Britain. Well, you're, younger, um, you're a bit younger than me, but actually the, it's, this is interesting to watch how people have handled the changing world of the internet, isn't it? How mm. And the Metro seems to have, and I read the Metro on the way here, actually, on the Tube, so they seem to have managed to pivot to a point where the free model has worked for them mm. to an extent because other print publications are still struggling with people not paying for newspapers. Yeah, I, it's, it's an interesting one. I think, you know, it's part... I don't know exactly who, but it's part of that whole Daily Mail group mm. as well, I think. Oh, is it? So I reckon that, yeah, it's not, not yeah. only something so that got a I bigger structure don't behind them. understand too much, but I get the impression that, yeah, there is that big, you know, you've got your big sturdy building <laughs> and you know you're always going to be able to print it. But interestingly, one of the things that's gone up, as these guys are telling me, the Metro guys, is the cost, you know, cost of printing, right? Cost mm. of ink. All of the, the electricity, the electricity yeah. required to print yeah. a newspaper. And so I think the independent is completely online now, mm. which people go back and forth about that that's good. It's but great for you that it's free because you can send a link to people and put it on your social media and people can access it true. rather than when you put a link on there and it's like there's a paywall and you have to subscribe to something. It's just difficult. I mean, I know people in print who said that we got it wrong from the start, that we should have monetized the internet 
everyone collectively. Yes, yeah. Every click should have been, I don't know, 2p, 5p, whatever it was. There should have been a process of equating people the physical to world it. to the online world. Whereas now people have had 20 years of it being free. It's really hard to go back. But then how do they make money to pay journalists and the people that run the business? That's, such, that's actually a really interesting general point around, for example, we obviously work in football, but um, if you compare how football has worked with their quote-unquote content, yeah. as opposed to, for example, the music industry, mm. where lots of musicians are kind of in dire straits around how little they get paid yeah. for how their content is used, how their music is used, how it's, even if you could have millions and billions of people listening to yeah. your Music My baby bro, is, he's a singer, songwriter, JJ Draper, and he's just turned 30, but he's had, a, I think, over a million listens on Spotify. Wow. And yeah, he's, but... he's very much influenced by Bon Iver, if you like Bon Iver's music. But he's, he's, yeah, he's, I guess, got a few thousand quid out of it. It's not like it's been a living. Same. He's had to work in bars and restaurants and stuff to make a, make a living. So it's interesting. Just We would have thought when we were kids that a million people listen to your song you'd be a millionaire <laughs> be, yeah because it would have been you'd have bought the single wouldn't you I suppose would have, that would have would it be reflecting or you'd have been on Radio 1 or Radio 2 yeah but I so I think to your point about how the, the internet and journalism was monetized back in the day I feel like football did this and Sky right mm. did this incredible job of saying this is what what we're showing is worth yeah. pay us lots of money for it whereas I guess maybe because it was more fractured in the music industry yeah. It was more difficult for that to happen. Sky achieved it in three months, didn't they? Since the end of the old First Division in May 1992, by the time August comes around, you've now repackaged football as the Premier League and it's Insane. did a fa- fine job. And obviously it did from that point almost become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It got more glamorous. You had Gantana, Zola, all these people came to the league. But before it was kind of like just the old English First Division, but it, it became a whole new thing because they almost created that image and then the reality followed the image. Yeah, at, at risk of... Um plugging another podcast um <laughs> go for it yeah i'm talking to david dean um on friday this coming friday or i don't know when you yeah. put this out but soon yeah i'm not sure when the, <laughs> i'm not that organized but we'll be probably, we're, we're speaking on wednesday the 5th of october so, so it might, next it week, might yeah. already it might be. be already out yeah, yeah so. so i'll be speaking to him um and he's he was very instrumental so he was uh, vice chair at arsenal mm. and very instrumental in that bit of time when the Premier League started so I'll be quite interested to hear from him because he's very anti from what I've read um, he's very anti European Super League but it'll be quite interesting to talk to him about mm. what what's the difference yeah and he says again from what I've read but I'll be interested to get him in person it's the whole point was it was never a closed job, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that's the real problem with the Super League, which I think many football fans would agree. But the American influence, they don't have promotion and relegation in America, so they don't really understand that. Yeah, but I think he... Um, I don't know if it's because the Premier League was his baby. But he connects... I mean, it's all connect, it's connected as well, as you're saying, to things like the dreadful, dreadful situation at Hillsborough and how mm. appallingly treated many football fans were. His whole take is like... Attendances were low as well, weren't they? Generally, I think. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah. you know, my dad stopped following football around then, but earlier than that, because he's just like, why would I want to go and mm. stand around and get spat on? Yeah. <laughs> like, possibly be in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, we talk about all the horrible racism and stuff, but I think it was generally could be quite unpleasant to go to a game for anyone at that stage. It was, yeah. Yeah, someone, I mean, someone else I spoke to is um, uh, Nick Cornby, who's obviously fascinating on Right Fever Pitch and is mm. fascinating on. Can all these Arsenal people? Yeah, I was say for a top, very good of me, isn't it? Yeah. It's very good. I had to, I had to work, I have to work quite hard to be diligently non-tribal, uh, partisan. Yeah. yeah, when I, but we've had, I've had Les Ferdinand, I've had Glenn Hoddle, so I feel like. Well, Les Ferdinand played for Tottenham, though, didn't he? Oh, Glenn Hoddle. That's what I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. So sorry, I'm saying yeah, I yeah. get my, I get my kicks. Balance, yeah. And then I try and provide balance for the. But that's a good. I think that's listeners. the thing I always think about sport as you grow up is, and I remember not wanting to go to school if Manchester United lost a game because there was a kid who supported Blackburn, and it would be like, oh man, he's so going to give bad. me stick about Blackburn winning. And I thought, and you think about how bad it is now, retrospect, and how there's still people I know. We talked about Sunderland till I die documentary. A person on there saying he didn't speak to his family if Sunderland lost, which they were losing all the time. I think we need to kind of. Can you have the passion that motivates you to travel from Bournemouth to Newcastle for a game on a Saturday and not the tribalism and the hatred of other teams and the sort of depression that follows a loss and stuff? It's, it's, a, it's a challenge, isn't it? I think if you've got other stuff in your life, it helps. I think with the football ramble, we've tried to, I guess it's a more modern way of looking at football mm. in the sense that we would quite often talk about 
that and say, people write in emails and say like, you know, I, I'm suffering because of this and this. And we <laughs> tend to, not always, not everyone is, has, agrees. Obviously that's the joy of a chat podcast. But yeah. you, you would say, most of us would be like, look guys you know let's not forget we're we're working in football so mm. we're watching sometimes we have to watch stuff we don't want to watch yes you know we're working on it but if this is really affecting your mental health which is basically what you're saying in Kovac language. I know people who I put it on Twitter and stuff and said do people struggle emotionally after defeats and people have said they've actually stopped supporting football teams because it would ruin their whole weekend if say Arsenal lost or whoever. well I think that's quite a, I think that's quite a good level of self-awareness mm. And I think, again, there's probably, I mean, you'll know better than me, but there's probably the great thing about football, I think, has been over the course of time, is it has been a place where men can come together and, and maybe more easily talk mm. in a way. Because this on, is, the, on the way to the game. And things yeah, like that, yeah, but also watching, I mean, not that you really talk when you're watching a game, but the whole thing about, um, and I know this from sport generally, from like watching sport and being in, being in teams or whatever, you sit, you're sitting next to each other, you're watching something. Yes. You want to have a conversation about something a bit more difficult or yeah. even just something. Yeah. You, don't have to, you don't have to look at each other and be like, I'm about to bear my soul to you. Well, I heard a psychologist say that about men, that they actually like doing something, but then it's kind of like a vehicle for socialising and for, whereas then it becomes difficult, you haven't got the time to do that, whereas women are much more adept at having a coffee or something and meeting yeah, up and making, a chat. prioritising it. Yeah, so it's like we're meeting up to meet up, we're not having to create a, I don't know, a, a kind of hill, hill climbing adventure <laughs> or a game of tennis or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, I love to do, I'm a sort of active person and I love the fact that I've got friends, that I've, I've taken up cricket this summer. Really? Yeah, and that's been an absolute joy. But I, so I love the fact that I've got groups of people that, you know, you know they're going to be there. I mean, yeah. Cricket's brilliant though for, um, and I've got an old boy organising cricket around me, but for the social side of it, it's just people oh. getting that time. It's probably an antidote to modern life because people just so stand slow. around in the field and yeah, exactly. it's relaxed. It's nice. It's been lovely. I don't know if this is the same with men's. I mean, I played in like a mixed team mm. as well, but I don't know if this is the same with men's as with women's. My, so the team I've been playing with, Stoke Newington, is a women's, they've got men's teams as well I think but there's two women's teams that have just been set up in the That's last like brilliant. two years it's so adorable anyway yeah. um, but there's quite a lot of like kids running around partly like some girls will play in the team so the range of ages is from like 10 to like 60 <laughs> in this team and it's so beautiful to see these people it's coming together yeah. who would never have a reason particularly to talk to each other normally and just like it means that you know I'm chatting to little Rose or whoever about her, what she's up to at school and how that's all going. I'm talking mm. to so-and-so about their, like, problems. That, Agonias. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, the problems with their compost. <laughs> and it's just, it's really, really cool to see that. But it's, they also, and this is what I don't know if it's because it's women, there's also, like, young kids running around mm. just... Yeah. The community is kind of looking after them while the cricket's going on. Yes. And it's such a nice way, I think, to have... Human contact. Children around and just a range of people experiencing, and specifically in this case of it being women, like women being sporty. And so many of these older women had never had the chance. Even I, so I'm 34. I hadn't, mm. I tried to play cricket when I was a kid. I was, I, so I play squash, as I said, got yeah. quite good hand-eye coordination, fancy myself as a batter, <laughs> still do. Yes, well, what, um, what, what does, does the swing correspond? That's what I always look at these crossovers, don't they, from different sports to one sure, to but another one. It's just the hand-eye a bit, you yeah. know, like, I mean, not that you would necessarily be able to tell that from my most recent outing <laughs> in which I was absolutely terrible. But hand-eye is extreme in squash. Sulking. Um, but anyway, yeah, I got out very quickly, let down the sides, and still not over it. <laughs> it, it. To return to the point about how good you feel when you've... Yeah. <laughs> you've lost but anyway the point about um some of these women coming together is they'd never had the chance as i had even me at my age i wanted to play in a cricket team yeah and one of the teachers who was in charge of it he was he was like a he was like a history teacher or something but you know he looked after sports yeah uh, when we were 11 or i guess i would have been 10 or 9 then and he's and one of the kids actually a guy who went on to play for like a county cricket team so a proper player <laughs> though I doubt he was at nine it's like oh Kate can wicket keep because we've been like playing in the playground and the teacher said oh no like girls don't play cricket really? what, what would happen if we turned up with a girl to this game this is what the teacher said this is what Blimey. it's like man I mean yeah. that's very strange it's very amazing that that would would be the case um, that's 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 I, a universe that's my like 
well, my wife, experience. My yeah. wife and I have talked about this because she didn't have a sporting kind of hobby per se. And I said that we've tried to get our daughter, in, or I've tried to get my daughter into football. She's kind of obstinate, but she likes ballet. She likes French. She likes all these extra clubs she does. So she's, it's fine. I always wanted to have a passion because my wife said that what she found as a teenage girl is a difficulty because without that thing that kind of kept you away from certain scenes, mm. girls often start dating older men in their thir- when they're 13, 14. Whereas those people that have a hobby that takes them somewhere on a Saturday or a Friday in a wholesome way is actually a really positive thing. So I think finding that has been maybe missing in some young girls' lives, which boys have traditionally pursued. Yeah, and of course, look, not all boys, you know, lots of boys are trying to, would have yeah. preferred not to play rugby or football or whatever, yeah. they, they would have preferred to not. But I think, broadly speaking, in the generalisation, the generalisation you're making is right. And I remember just finding it really baffling, again, because I was lucky, because I had a few things that I was, I enjoyed, even though I was crushed <laughs> by... Mr. X from not being allowed to play cricket, but I had a few other stuff that games and things that I enjoyed. Did you have any female teachers who called him up on that, or did they? Mate, no, because the other th- like the other thing was our head teacher was a woman, mm. and she again because because it's cultural, right? She, yeah, she's it's not whatever, necessarily male or female. It's whatever just what age believes. she whatever age she was, mm. you know, she would have been experiencing the same. She would have been brought into the same prejudice, yeah. and her own lived experience would probably have reflected yeah. the truth, right? So, She's like, "Yeah, no, that's true. Women can't play cricket. I can't. Are. I can't throw." She would have thought, "Yes, but that's not genetic. That's because you haven't." And that's what had I said, the chance. That's another thing I want my daughter to do because sports a great vehicle for your rubbish when you start, but you practice, you get better, so you yeah. can extrapolate that to other parts of life. Which is part of the reason, the, you know, trying to do the podcast was about trying to pass out those things that are value to people that you can actually garner from sport and one of those is put time and energy in something you'll get better yeah it really makes me sad although again with these this cricket team it really it I'm hope I don't know I'd like every all of my female friends to join a cricket team at this point <laughs> I'm obviously in the evangelism stage but I think that whole thing about girls not being able to throw is so damaging because I can't actually really throw because all of the the um sports I was good at with the hand-eye kind of hitting mm. rather than throwing stuff. Yeah. And the way you were taught when you, when we were kids was completely different to the way boys were taught. Mm. So you're taught in a completely non-productive way about how to throw. And yeah. then there's a level of embarrassment, again, to your point about practice. Yeah. You know, then you're a bit embarrassed about it or, or if it doesn't come naturally to you, maybe you don't practice and then you're like, okay, I can't throw, so you never do. Yeah, it's like a lot of things in life, that, isn't whereas it? Now, yeah. yeah, whereas now I someone's taught me to throw We've, I've been practising it and yeah. I'm learning and better. I sometimes still throw it like you know <laughs> far to the left when I'm trying to throw it straight but yeah. I'm I'm getting there and I just any is this fixed mindset thing mm. Ed isn't it it's like there's no you can okay yes not everyone's going to become a prima ballerina you know very no. few people, people probably are. got more shot as a boy actually because there's not many boys <laughs> in the class so I think if you did pursue it you might have a more of a chance <laughs> but in terms of being able to improve there's very few things where it's literally fixed yeah. that you absolutely will not be able to you may not be you may not become yeah it's time Gary and energy Lineker as a broadcaster or as a footballer you may not become whatever mm. but you will get there you will improve as long yeah. as you put some effort in and it's interesting to get to that stage talking about broadcasting where you've done something for a number of years as we have you then have to be careful of, I don't know if you find this, autopilot. Like you have to sort of still try and improve because it's like you can get that in rudimentary sort of rec- recreational sports. You get to a level and you think, have I actually got better at this even though I've been playing for 20 years? And a bit like that with broadcasting, you find yourself having to listen back and thinking, oh, why am I doing that or saying that? It's interesting, isn't it? I'll probably listen back to this podcast and think, think <laughs> the same thing. But that, there is a stage you get to, where it's, particularly when it's your profession, where you have to try and get those marginal gains as well. Thinking about the writing because um, I was quite pleased about the first two columns that I did. I think they went quite well and I think genu- I don't want to sound like I'm being arrogant because I was nervous about it and I didn't necessarily think I'd do like a super mm. wonderful job. But I felt, having written them, I felt quite good about it. Like, this is a level I'm, I'm happy with. However, because I'm not experienced at it, I don't think that it will be consistent so yeah. I reckon I'll have less, uh, maybe these are like, sorry people, you can't hit, see my graph yeah. that I'm drawing in the air the here, but chart. maybe these will be like up here, in t- like good-ish, but there'll probably be ones where, because I'm not experienced, my consistency is quite 
yeah. all over the place. And I think that's that's the thing about experience in broadcasting and maybe generally, I don't know. You're consistent, yeah. You become, what you've got with experience is you're consistently at a level, you're unlikely to go in and just completely cock the whole thing <laughs> yeah. up and like... Not be know, able to talk, yeah. Exactly, but or do you think, have those kind of panic dreams that people who are maybe starting out in mm. broadcasting might yeah. want to frighten you, but it might happen that you completely cock it up. Yeah, and yeah. Like, it's you have to almost completely cock it up, I think, at the start. Yeah, for sure. And, that, it. and then experience gets you to a level where you're unlikely to really like have an absolute disaster. And part of that is your sort of emotional state regulation. You never get as stressed as you do at the start. So exactly. You get that balance. Yeah, but there, mu- but there might be something in what you're saying about maybe a trade-off of that consistency could be that you kind mm. of settle to like a lower level than your ability. Yeah, it's like driving, isn't it? I always use a driving analogy. Like, a have I got driver. better at driving? I've driven for, <laughs> I don't think I've been, I'm doing some rubbish things driving, but I've driven for thousands and thousands of hours. And you think that this curve I had when I started driving was a lot quicker. But it's because I'm listening to podcasts. I'm not thinking. I'm yeah. know, daydreaming. I'm not a good driver, so I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to start <laughs> speculating on that. Although um, I have started. So because I go to games for BBC now, um, so I sometimes have to borrow a car together. So I've driven a range of cars. Oh, have you? And uh, I hadn't thought I would ever have a view about cars, but I really do now. You could be uh, on Top Gear anytime. I'm well into the Vauxhall yeah. Corset. That's my current, if I get a zip car and it's a Vauxhall Corset, I'm like, yes. That's interesting. I've driven yeah. a lot of cars, but I've never been passionate. It's interesting that people have their passion. Because it feels so. like a little racer. Yeah. Whereas quite a lot of the other ones are like squidgy. Yeah. You know? Sort of high up. Yeah. You know, kind of genteel. I am, genteel. I, I, by trait, by characteristic, I probably would be more of like a speeding person. Okay. Than a... And like a a dodgery. Don't miss your violation. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm gone. I hope I got away with it. (laughs) Well, it's hard now as well. It's semi variable And around here, it's probably 20 miles an hour, isn't it? Which is not very fast at all in a car. Yeah, it's sad. But um, like you say, you can get your podcast listening done. As long as you're checking your wing mirrors. Yes, as long as as you're doing that. And then... uh, yeah, you end up getting a bit, I mean, luckily I've, I've had scrapes and I think you drive long enough you do, but usually most of mine have been when people's coming to the back of me rather than the other way around, which is always the good, but not, not, too, not too bad. Qatar, you came back from, I really liked the article, it was about the surreal experience going to watch women's football in Qatar. Yeah. What's your feeling on, on the World Cup? That's a big open question. Yeah, well, or... Qatar, because you obviously did work there, you said, and I know you weren't overly enamoured, you said there were some issues around it you weren't overly enamoured with. Yeah, I mean, I think that's for many reasons. Like, I, so I worked there for two years, um, from 2017 to 2019, and I think it's hard to separate the fact that I, you know, has a long way from home, and I mm. was, I found it difficult generally, I was there on my own. Um yeah, Doha is a very new place, isn't it? It is, yeah. and I, you know, I made friends, but, but it's just Qatar is such a small. I don't know how to emphasise this enough. It's like such a small place, mm. right? Like, and that's the baffling thing about it's like Milton Keynes in a desert or something. Yeah, <laughs> I think people say size of Yorkshire is the whole of whole of it. Okay, um, and so it just felt quite empty, mm. and I can I couldn't tell if I was. In London, I, you know, I live in London now, and I did before I went out there. You're sp- you're so spoiled in terms of the stuff there is to do. You know, you mm. can go and watch a million Premier League football teams if you want to. You can go and see the best art in yeah. in the world in global history. You can pop into the theatre and see pretty much any range of whatever. You can go and cross town and meet your mates and whatever. So. London is an extreme version of mm. life with a lot of stuff in it. Doha's kind of like <laughs> Westfield, isn't it? <laughs> is what it felt. It was sort of sparkling shopping mall was the centre when I was there, but I was there 15 years ago, so... It's, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's more stuff, you know. There's, yeah. So 15 years ago, what would the... I'm trying to think. So the, there would have been the skyline or it would have been coming to be... Yeah, but they're all empty. All the buildings are empty, but they're building them. And then the, the, the shopping mall was a big attraction. It had all the chains, like it had American chains, British chains, French chains. So it had all this sort of attraction of different food stores and different kind of clothes stores and stuff. So it was an interesting place. But we went, we were on a tour of the sand dunes mm. out and there was this empty bottles of whiskey. So that was quite invigorating as well. People talk about cultural differences. And they're like, oh, the young kids come out and still drink whiskey in the sand here. So I was like, oh, it's just like us going to the park when we were kids. So yeah, I think it kind of connected you to it. But it was, yeah, there didn't seem a huge amount, but then it was 
I went out there to turn the Asian Games in 2006 and it was phenomenal that sort of people if Qatar won a game they'd be out honking their horns they'd lock the streets down and be honking the horns and yeah. it was a, sort of wild on, the, on those times as well so it was a really cool experience but like you said it was very different because everything's fresh new you're in a desert compared to the UK where you're in green countryside and yeah. buildings that are thousands of years old yeah exactly and I think I think that was that was part of the feeling of emptiness yeah was that there was not too much of a range of things to do and then obviously I was a long way from home I think in terms of it as a as a place what's difficult as well as a as a journalist I guess is that you know you're not able to say what you think out there mm. you know everybody this is a point I keep trying to make to people is that everybody is a guest of Qatar so 10% of the population is Qatar nationals yeah which is a mad thing if you and they think don't have about to work it. is that right they all I don't know specifically it's like a how it's you organized get from the government they but everybody a lot of you would t if you're Qatari you would tend to be in a seniorish job and mm. the idea was this process of Qatarization so getting people from from the west or from different places to come and kind of almost like train you up or like show show you how it was done elsewhere yeah um so now a lot of the senior roles are held by Qataris as you'll see with the world cup you know all the people running the stadiums some of whom I met when I was out there will be um Qatari but in terms of the other 90% of the of the population yeah there's of course um low wage workers from a lot of them from the Indian subcontinent and then there's lots of people from Europe who come and you're basically distinguished mm. you're brought over for a specific job depending on where you're from the Philippines is what I remember yes lots group. of yeah. um lots of maids lots of domestic workers beauty therapists that sort of thing so it creates a yeah it creates like a tiered society yeah basically and I've spoken to people far more informed about this stuff than me kind of academics and people who've done research on how it works and that's that's how they explain it it's this hierarchical society organized by yeah by it tends to be by where you're from so immigrants to the uk can have a difficult time to work their way up but they are basically become part of uk society where there is different levels of society you access when you're in qatar i think so yeah and then just because you wouldn't you wouldn't go to the same places as Qatar. Like, you know, I made a few Qatari friends when I was out there, but only in quite specific ways through mm. um, other, through sport generally. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't really hang out in the same places. No. Partly because of the alcohol thing, like Qatari families wouldn't be in a place where alcohol is served. Yeah, that's a strange dynamic that, isn't it? That you vehemently disagree with people drinking alcohol, yet you have to entertain people drinking alcohol because it's part of the tourism and the attracting workers. It's a, it must be must be strange for people in Qatar, actually, from yeah. their perspective, looking at us coming in and potentially boozing and carousing. Yeah, and the nuances of it as well, of course, is just because 10% of people are Qatari, it doesn't mean that they are um, all in agreement about what the best route yeah. forward is for Qatar. And I might, again, I've not had anyone say this to me on the record but from what I understand you know there, I'm sure there are plenty of people perhaps mm. more from the older generation who think what are we doing like yeah. why are we letting all these people come to our perfectly nice country and, and money possibly well it's a, it's a principle is they're probably looking at money over principles aren't they which we're looking at in sport even with the the Qatar World Cup have we have the FIFA sold sold principles for money and you know the pure purity of the game for for profit what's or is it a noble goal to spread the game around the world it's it's complicated mm, i think um from a kind of local local people living locally in qatar it's going to be a massive hassle and mm. quite chaotic like they have because of the way qatar is run you know it's not a not a democracy, democracy. Let's, yeah. let's be obvious about this you don't you can they can people can kind of send down edicts so basically the way that it's going to work from november from november to december when the world cup is on is that the schools are closed so nobody will be because again to refer mm. to the point that it's such a small place nobody will be able to 
no one will have to drive around the kind of central areas in order to kind of cut down on the traffic there. And only 20 or 25% of your workers will be allowed to go into, say, the office buildings in West Bay, the bit that, yeah. where the, if, you, if you can picture Qatar at all, that probably yeah. is the skyline that you'd be able to vision. It probably, probably wasn't there when I was there, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's I think, you know, but you probably, yeah. you're, you know, I'm... But um, I think, so, so there'll be no, so there'll be no one working in office buildings during that time. Yeah. Um, and that's how they're hoping to manage it. I don't know. I don't know if they'll be able to, Ed. I don't know. But, it's such a small place, but, and but, but, they're not used to it. But I don't know. We're trying to wrestle with this concept here. I mean, in the in the West, I suppose, if this every life, every person having an equal value, equal merit, regardless of gender, skin color, your birthright, mm. your class, whatever it is. Um, how intelligent you are even, how, you know, we're saying that every every life is intrinsically of the same value, whereas that isn't an accepted view there. So there is a, a clash, isn't there? There's a lot of accusations, allegations of people dying, making the stadiums in Qatar. We've got reports of what happens in Saudi Arabia to dissenting voices against the regime. And we're trying to juggle all this whilst we're saying everyone's of equal value. If people are gay or want to pursue an unorthodox, whatever it is, religion, or we're free to do it in this country, whereas that doesn't exist there. So there's that that slight tension isn't there and it just sometimes it's a massive tension yeah and it's it, a massive tension yeah of course it is i mean but the thing and the thing i really struggle with and the thing i'm hoping we can somehow or we can really be clear about when the when the doc comes out is that i didn't want to on the one hand there are some absolutes right they're like absolute human rights mm. and those should be being upheld and we've tried to speak to people who don't you don't have evidence that says that that's not the case. To live was one of the human rights, isn't it? Because there's certain <laughs> yeah. things that are, you know, yeah. the death penalties in existence. Yeah, and, and we try to speak to, you know, get as many voices on that as, as is possible. Of course, to return to the point about people in Qatar being guests, you know, it's very mm. difficult because you know that if your job is reliant on Qatar you, and you're hoping to make money better than what you could make at home if you're say from Bangladesh yeah then you wouldn't necessarily want to jeopardize that just to like tell yeah. the truth on some bloody podcast whistleblower yeah, yeah <laughs> so true. i think which is perfect and, and again to be clear that's obviously perfectly fine like people yeah. should we want ideally we want the world to be from my perspective i feel like if you can chip away at trying to make the world a mildly better place and mm. that, that's 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 great but equally people shouldn't put themselves at risk if they don't if they don't have the capacity to be supported yeah. so that's on the one hand but equally i didn't want to you know let's not forget we are both of us british people white british people mm. britain has a terrible history yeah. in, in that region generally and yeah. and specifically and so it's very important not to I think not to kind of judge go over there well you can't again with the yeah. kind of inalienable human rights and the kind of mm. but, but I think it's important to not go over there and be like rah, 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 holier than thou I'm look yeah. at our you know we're the yeah. ones who and it's like yeah okay how you know how has Britain built up well we, we are very lucky because you know yeah like this, well, this happened thing. many many years ago and blah 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 yeah. and I hope you know we see progress where people are being well that's the test held of to account principles is that test where yeah. it does you know, can you make more money if you if you sort of if your principles are on the line? Will you kind of let them blow in the wind? Because for me, that is when principles actually become real. If you actually lose money out of something or you lose an opportunity, that's when you think this is is significant, isn't it? And that's why I wrestle with professional sports, some of the influences in mm. it, and that subservience to the god mammon to money at the moment. Mm. At some point, you have to stick to your principles and take less money, like. You know, for us, if you were going to opportunity to work for a nefarious employer and they paid you more money, maybe you should choose the less nefarious employer because that's a principal stand. And um, I find that confusing in professional sport because it's very a lot Everything of it, particularly football, is very affluent anyway. So it's like we need a few million more, whereas people I think can make ethical, slight judgments that are more opaque if they're starving. You know, the people in Victorian times just stole loaves of bread and got sent off to Australia. You think we'd all do that? but I wouldn't steal if I've got a job. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's a different, whereas I think, I don't know, I don't know how you feel about professional sport because you're talking about cricket. I feel that unequivocally recreational sport was huge for me. I miss playing it because that's one of the tensions of our job or my job at the moment at Sky Sports News is you're working when people are playing that. I've got no doubts about the value of that, as a, particularly for children. But yeah, professional sport can be inspiring, but then I do worry sometimes about the, the influence of money. 
Yeah, and you, sh- I mean, these are all things that are important and people should be aware of them. I think it's difficult when you're a big fan of a football team. I mean, in particular, one of the guys, Pete Donaldson, who does the Ramble, is a Newcastle fan. He worked at Absolute Radio as well, didn't he? He did, yeah. because yeah. I worked, he worked, came after me, but I did the sport on the breakfast show there and I know he came oh, after, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's a lovely man. Um, yeah, exactly. And he's, you know, he's having... The challenge for him is he's having the best time of his life with Newcastle at the moment. Yeah. And he doesn't, you know, he hates where he's come from, but every week mm. he watches his team play and he feels bloody great yeah. about it. Yeah, Premier League teams that suddenly there's new sponsors apparently appearing on billboards. They're like, what company is that? And they're trying to research, is that a way of getting extra money into the club without declaring There's loads of sort of... Yeah, but so this is, so what you're talking about, I think, is the, the thing about the recreational sport is that endorphins and mm. community and all the wonderful and you pay for it often so it's not even like <laughs> you pay like five quid to play a five side game don't you or so, yeah. Yeah. so it's you know is this is this thing that you value and you get joy out of and then hopefully lots of people i know lots of people suffer watching their team i do as well but um again you hope for it to be a joyful thing you know watching your football team ultimately playing um to then keep that connected to all the nefarious stuff that maybe is going on in the background. Yeah, because you can still make money out of it because there's a huge audience for it, but it's just maybe a bit nuanced in decisions you take. And even with the World Cup, people say, what are we doing? Because it's in the middle of the, yeah. the domestics. It's such a well, weird Well, so for season. me, I don't mind about that in the sense that there are many, this is the kind of pro-Western, or this is the like Western bias that mm. we naturally have. Because it's our season. Yeah. yeah, it's our season. And there's plenty of other football seasons. Okay, sure, Premier League is the biggest league in the world, mm. whatever. But... Um, there's plenty of other football seasons that always in the past have broken off for the yeah. World Cup. So I'm not totally against that in terms of moving it around, although it is mad. I mean, once it's been done once, you can see it happen. And, and obviously, do I think it should be possible to have a World Cup in the Middle East? I think it's great. Like, mm. I think specifically that area of the world getting access yeah. to a World Cup. Or if Egypt could host it or something yeah. like that, that would be incredible. So, yeah, it's not about that. No. <laughs> No, but it's about yeah. What can women allow, what women allowed to do in that country and things like that? Isn't it? Yeah, it's. I mean, one of the strange things that you'll see is that, um, and this this again, you know, I've spoken to plenty of Muslim friends and contacts about this, and I I'm still kind of understanding it and trying to figure out where I sit on it. But like, uh, Qatari men, or generally Qatari men, won't shake your hand if you're female because they mm. won't touch you. Um, and that's that's they tell me this is a cultural cultural yeah an, an islamic thing for them and one of the guys i met who runs khalifa one of the stadiums that will be hosting the world cup said you know i'm i'm paying you respect by not mm. you know you're not my sister or my wife or my uh cousin or whatever so i'm paying you respect by not touching you and look i don't want to Start. But it's sort of like destroying this concept of a sort of neutral touch. I, be, yeah. Correct. And yeah. I don't want to start diving in on your religion <laughs> and being like, well, that's wrong. But from my perspective, if you're asking me, which you're not, mm. I would find it respectful for you to shake my hand rather than if, you, if you're, you know, depending yeah. on where we're meeting. So this values, is your country. This is your country. Yeah. So fine, probably. But if you were to ask me, which you're not, yeah. I would say that a respectful handshake between two shows that you're saying we are two equals because what happens in those situations is I don't get mm. a handshake but all the junior men who are working yeah. on the thing get a handshake and it's I think there was a skit wasn't there in Borat do you remember he had that thing with the rowers where he kind of kissed all the male rowers on the cheek <laughs> and, then, and then he just went Ugh, at the woman who was the female cox or something it was sort of like that sounds about right yeah um, but yeah look again you know we're all I'm learning all the time and I and I want to have an open mind on the specifically religious elements because mm. I don't, you know, no. I'm not here to say, like, your religion is... is... And maybe, maybe we diminish in religion and maybe actually it's anchored people and maybe that's why in the West we see this mental health, ill health explosion. People don't have some sort of principled structure to, to cling to or, or to found, you know, found their lives on. Yeah, and I think one of the things that... Another kind of interesting element is the... Um, Again, women I've spoken to who wear, for example, hijab, um, which in Qatar, all of the men, basically all the male Qataris will wear their full 
kind of white, what you'd imagine mm. as being the, the like um, national dress, if you picture that. And all the women would wear um, a hijab, so the headscarf and then a black yeah. kind of, again, sort of national dress. So that's what you'd see um, everyone wearing. Um, and the question about, you know, wearing, the hi wearing hijab or not, for many people, it's an article of faith um, and they women choose to wear it. So again, you wouldn't want to say to someone, oh, mm. like, you know, you should, like they do in France, like you shouldn't be wearing that. Yeah. It's like, if you're making the choice, great. Yeah. If you're not making the choice, yeah. And we see ourselves very much as individuals who want to express ourselves and look differently, although fashion makes you look the same, but it's a, yeah, yeah, it's a tricky, <laughs> tricky sort of nuanced Fashion makes concept. you look the same. We know people follow Drake. fashion, so they'll, you know, skinny jeans. But then actually nowadays, I think probably we're past that. And you could look back in the history and see people wearing skinny jeans at a certain time or flares and you knew what era it was. Whereas now there's an argument, I suppose, in the West that people follow a whole myriad of different fashions. Do you move with the fashions? No. <laughs> I've definitely given up. Hey, you've, got, you've got to go because you've got to go in a minute, but it's been brilliant. We could talk for oh, yeah, forever, could. couldn't we? I know your, your clock's slightly fast, I think, which is oh, a yeah. bit more time. I like than that you've been... Um... Yeah, I was checking out. I was thinking, wow, God, yeah, it's no, time flown right. by. It's absolutely fine. Um, but no, um, it's, been, it's been great. We should definitely do it again. But for people following your work, you're kind of doing a myriad of different things, aren't you? So was yeah. it your Twitter account's the best place to yeah. follow what you're up to? I'm at KVL Mason. Yeah. Like, I'm sort of, you know... Trying to sound gender neutral there, I guess, wasn't what's, I? With my what's, Virgin, v, what's VL? Virginia is that Lucy. That's Virginia my middle Lucy. name. Oh, you got two middle yeah. names. I have, yeah. So uh, no one ever guesses Virginia Lucy actually. That's great for cricket. Do you know that in old-fashioned cricket clubs, sort of Victorian times into early 20th century, if you had middle names, you were more likely to get accepted in because <laughs> you sort of sounded like you were more kind of. Which is a ridiculous whole thing, is yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Maybe so it'd be that's... like a bit of an initial, wouldn't it? Like yeah. Maybe that's why Stokey have been so welcoming. Yeah. I don't I don't I mean we play on Hackney Hackney Marshes, I don't think no. that um that's exactly the kind of vibe that people are going for. But that shows you how silly like sometimes or how idiosyncratic cultures and values are and what's important and not. Yeah, definitely. And and I suppose another interesting thing about sport about people you know, forming a unit and maybe that in the past has involved leaving people mm. out. Yeah. But hope, I mean, the way I, the dream way that I see it or the way I hope that it could be is, yeah, is to be a force. Maybe, maybe recreational sport is the thing that, that drives me to want to, or certainly that was the thing that drove me to want to be in broadcasting, to, to spread sports broadcasting, to spread the word about that everybody is welcome. And, yeah. that, you know, I, when I was a kid, I didn't see that many women, girls on telly playing the sport or broadcasting the sport and so it's I thought, a point of connection isn't it for men for women now yeah and for people from completely different cultures and backgrounds because everyone likes playing football yeah. so it sounds silly but it, it makes you realize oh we're more like each other than perhaps we're led to believe yeah exactly and I think there's a real strength in that in terms of football fans generally apparently it's like an artificial connection you know if you think someone has something that they share you know mm. another person who's a Tottenham yeah. fan you kind of make a leap where you think oh we're much more similar but hey I just think we probably need more of that in society generally don't yes. we when and we say we're all football fans or like yeah we love this and then let's kind of diminish our differences a bit more unless they're yeah. things that really make you feel good yeah but just be friendly with all football fans don't be like kind of only your football fans because that's funny when people in our work obviously you work with different people different clubs different managers players etc so you have to be very open-minded whereas I think people who maybe more locked into that kind of teenage mindset are sort of like how can you be friends with yeah. that person they're a Man City fan or Liverpool fan like well they're good people actually and they like football it's not yeah you don't kind of they're not boxed off somewhere because otherwise life gets pretty limiting about who you can hang out with oh terrible and you've got to keep checking your You've got to keep checking your views against other people. You don't want to go down off some mad rabbit hole. That's how you become a conspiracy theorist. I get, I get people messaging me when I wear like a red item of clothing saying, like, what are you yeah. doing? Why are you wearing red? <laughs> Never red. And it's like, yeah, I don't think no. that's relevant. <laughs> no. I kind of want the freedom to wear. I like I the colour. It looks yeah. nice on me sorry maybe I don't, don't, maybe don't hate arsenal as well That's i don't bit, yeah. i don't you know i don't look so good in so many colors <laughs> that i can just like root out an entire color spectrum no. just because you know it might make arsenal win yeah i sadly don't feel as though i have <laughs> that level of control over the football universe there's a lot of clubs that wear red as well aren't there so it's yeah 
Yeah, too right. Can't nail it down too much. Although I did go up to, I did a bit of work with, at Rangers um, sometimes, and I did, I did make sure very certainly not to wear anything green on mm. the way up. Um, yeah. But hey, that was more of like an, you know, you're being employed to yeah. do something for the club, so you want to res- be respectful of that. Which actually ties very nicely back into the point of religion. Yes, doesn't it? That like, is like a religion. You know, try, and, try, and, yeah. try and respect, try and do your best to just respect the culture that you yes. find yourself in. As long as that doesn't mean you have to be untrue to yourself, I guess. Mm. I think it's a brilliant way to end, Kathy. Hey, Thank you very much. Um, it's brilliant to see you because I think it's, I can't believe it's been 18 months, I think, since I saw you. So it's, wow. it's fantastic to catch up. I'm glad it's going so well. It's been so nice. Well, you're welcome around here anytime. Um, en route to work or whatever uh, yeah this is very much the biscuits probably will be finished they're good yeah but, um, Hob <laughs> but maybe we'll have some new ones then next time good stuff thank, thank you guys. speak to you soon really cool to catch up with Kate Mason great broadcaster great person really interesting to spitball on those ideas around our belief in inalienable human rights but how you then temper your approach to cultures where maybe that isn't an accepted viewpoint and how we all try and get along without being overly judgmental to prejudice conversations I think when people get together and and have open conversations often there is an understanding that we're all the same species homo sapiens aren't we so so let me know what you think of that as well appreciate it if you could pass that on to people if you enjoyed it tell a friend rate it on iTunes Spotify wherever you're listening to it or um yeah, just enjoy it. Thank you for being here and appreciate it. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serena V. Remember Cytoplan, food-based supplement company. If you'd like to optimise your immunity, try their supplements. Head to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. Discount code at checkout for 30% off your first purchase. 10% thereafter is Draper10R. My last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. Remember to check out the link to Anthony Asprey and the Whole Man Academy. If you would like a free mentoring session with him, he gets good money for these sessions with particularly people from the finance and city world, but great to counsel you, give any advice on, on things that may be affecting you in your life and absolutely free of charge. Check that out in the show notes. If you're looking, by the way, to maybe preserve the life story of a loved one, if that intrigues you, I've been sitting down with members of the public now through a vehicle called Attic Box Audio, My wife and I set it up in the pandemic and it's just literally a conversation. People's childhoods in particular, older generation typically, but doesn't have to be. Check out atticboxaudio.co.uk. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a great week and speak to you again soon. Bye for now.